Well, Jesus uh, promised in his word that wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he would be there in their midst. So, man, that is a, uh, an amazing thing to consider that the God of this universe is here. That he's here and gathering together on a Sunday morning is being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing. I hope you came this morning expectant to engage with Christ because he is here with us this morning. Good morning to you. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we'll be reading in a, in a few minutes here uh, just verses 1 through 5, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're starting a new sermon series here this morning. I'll be preaching through the book of Acts. Uh, I just love this book. I read through it at least once a year, and man, just love it. So much great stuff in this book. So much stuff that I think will be really good for, for our church here. I trust the Lord will use this book in powerful ways in, in our church and in our individual lives. Uh, the first couple of Sundays here in this sermon series will take just a few verses each of these first two weeks and kind of set the book up. And then we'll start taking bigger passages and move a little more quickly through the rest of the book. Uh, let's go ahead and pray as we get started here. Well, Father, we thank you for um, that promise that wherever two or more gathered in the name of Jesus, that Jesus would be here. So we just, uh, we just pause and, and we just acknowledge, Lord Jesus, you are here. You are here in our midst. You are our good shepherd, the one and only true shepherd. You watch over your people. You, Lord Jesus, are King of kings and Lord of lords. You have brought us to Yourself. You, you rule over us with grace and compassion. You, Lord Jesus, are our forerunner. You go before us. You, Lord Jesus, are our great high priest. You offered up Your only body and, and now You're offering up uh, a daily, uh, non-stop intercession on behalf of Your one-time sacrifice, our great high priest. You, Lord Jesus, are our prophet. You speak through Your Word uh, into our souls. And so we look to You now, Lord Jesus, and, and just ask that You'd have Your way as we look here now at the beginning of Acts and throughout the rest of the book of Acts that you would be pleased to glorify yourself in and through this book of Acts. We thank you for it. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, human beings just love stories. Love stories. You can see it everywhere. If you have children, I'm sure they've asked you frequently to read them a story. When my kids were smaller, I made up stories about Bernie the bunny. Uh, Bernie would sneak out of the house every day when his mother was not looking. He'd always get into trouble, uh, covered in syrup, trying to steal Farmer Brown's pancakes. He caught his tail on fire. He was covered in blueberries, uh, all kinds of things. He would always then later be disciplined by his mother, who always knew what Bernie had been doing. And man, my kids just love those stories of Bernie the bunny. They still ask me for those stories. But you know, adults love stories too. You know, the average American, believe it or not, now watches five hours of TV every day. 
Uh, that feels like a lot. If you're watching five hours a day, I might want to speak to you uh, after the service, but, you know, uh, engrossed in stories. Uh, Americans collectively now spend about $30 billion on movies every year, just immersed in stories. We love stories, and, and stories are powerful. Uh, Dan Taylor talks about the life-shaping power of story. And, and you've probably experienced it before. You've, you've read, or you've watched some compelling story, and, and you just watched, you walked away feeling a little bit changed. And, 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 and probably not just changed in your mind intellectually, but changed down in your soul, in the core of your affections, the life-changing, or the life-shaping power of story. And you know the great thing about God is that He has given given us stories. Uh, The entire Bible is really one grand story about what God has done through Jesus to save sinners like you and me and restore his broken universe. The whole Bible is really a story. It's not just a bunch of propositional truths about God that you, you need to learn. It's a big story. And within the big grand story, well, God has given us all kinds of little stories, Noah and Abraham and David and so on. And the good news uh, over the next few months is that you and I, we will be living in an amazing story called the book of Acts. It is a true story, a a story filled with facts. This book of Acts, it tells us what happened in human history after Jesus ascended back to heaven, after his death and resurrection. Acts tells us how the gospel, the good news message about Christ, began to spread from Jerusalem to surrounding areas. Man, when the book of Acts opens, there's just a small band of of disciples, just this little fledgling group of Christ followers. But man, those disciples then, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they begin to move out and they begin to spread the news of Christ everywhere. And by the end of Acts, just just about 35 years later, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And this tiny band of disciples has now become a massive throng of disciples. A, A true story about the spread of the gospel after Christ's ascension back to heaven. But man, this right here, the book of Acts, it is also a big time adventure story. Uh, John Polhill says this about the book of Acts. He says, Acts is the report of an adventure, replete or, or filled with arrests, imprisonments, beatings, riots, narrow escapes, a resurrection from death, a shipwreck, trial scenes, and rescues. This book, if you've read through it before, it is an adventure story, so buckle your seatbelts, or as my grandmother used to say, hold on to your hats and don't stand up, because this is going to be a wild ride through the book of Acts. And my simple prayer as we journey together through the book of Acts is that we would be changed. And, and change not just intellectually in our minds, but change at the core of our beings, in our affections as we experience the life-shaping power of this true story. In the first 11 verses of chapter 1, we find a little 
prologue here that that kind of lays the foundation for the rest of the book of Acts. We'll look today at just the first part of this prologue, verses 1 to 5. We'll look at the second half of the prologue next week, and then we'll start moving quicker. So let's go ahead and read the first five verses here in the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And there are just three things I'd like to cover this morning as we kind of begin to set up the book of Acts, looking at the first part of this prologue here. One, we'll think about the author. Number two, the audience for this book. And and number three, the main characters for this book. Let's think for a second first about the author here. The, the writer of the book of Acts is not explicitly named in the Bible, but there, there's a lot of biblical evidence, I won't get into it, but a lot of evidence that points very strongly to Luke as the author. Scholars today are virtually unanimous attributing this to Luke. And, and we know several things about Luke. We know for one that Luke traveled a lot with the Apostle Paul, who plays a major role in the book of Acts. Luke was with Paul a lot as he traveled around here in the book of Acts. You know, in several of Paul's New Testament letters, which were written during the time of the book of Acts, well, Paul mentions on several occasions that Luke is actually with them. That Luke was with Paul on several occasions when Paul was in prison. Luke was traveling with Paul a lot. So a lot of the stuff that that Luke wrote here in the book of Acts about Paul, well, Luke was actually there. Witnessing it firsthand, maybe as Paul was stoned or when Paul was in prison, Luke was there and wrote about it after he had witnessed it firsthand. We also know that Luke was a doctor. Paul says this in Colossians 4.14. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. So Luke, this doctor, traveling around with the Apostle Paul. And Luke's writing style in the book of Acts reflects a higher education. John Stott says this, Even in those far-off days, doctors underwent quite a rigorous training, and Luke's stylish Greek is that of a cultured person. Another writer said that that Luke is a well educated writer. Many scholars would say that Luke's New Testament Greek is the most highly polished Greek in the entire New Testament. And and that name Luke is a Greek name. It might have been Lucius or 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 Lucian. Luke, a Greek Greek name. So he was probably a Gentile, a non-Jew. So stop and think about that for a second. Luke, a Gentile, non-Jew, he was probably the only 
Gentile writer in the entire Bible. All the other writers in the Bible probably had Jewish backgrounds. And Luke was writing this book of Acts here as a historian. Luke was aiming to give us facts here. He was aiming to give us a true history, and he has given us a very accurate history here. There was a man, Sir William Ramsey. He was the professor of classical art and archaeology at Oxford University, late 1800s. And Sir William Ramsey, he was initially convinced that Acts was full of historical errors. He adamantly defended his position with his students. He eventually traveled to Asia Minor, where a lot of the book of Acts took place. And he traveled there in order to prove the historical inaccuracies of Acts. And he found there overwhelming evidence in support of Luke's historical account. And Sir William Ramsey later wrote this. He said, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is also possessed of the true historic sense. He seizes the important and critical events and shows their true nature at greater length while he touches lightly or omits entirely much that was valueless for his purpose. In short, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians." There was another man, A.N. Sherwin White. He was also at Oxford University about 70 years years, uh, after William Ramsey. He was ancient historian at Oxford University. And after studying the book of Acts for many, many years, he also affirmed the historical accuracy. He said this, he said, For Acts, the confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity, even in matters of detail, must now appear absurd. Luke was writing as a historian, and he was a very, very good historian by all accounts. But Luke was also writing the book of Acts as a theologian. He was selective in the facts he gave in this book. He, he, he made certain points. He, he highlighted particular things for various reasons, which we'll discuss as we go. But one of the primary reasons why Luke highlighted certain things, certain events, certain historical events, one of the primary reasons was because Luke was writing to a certain audience. And he wanted to express certain things to his original audience. When you read any book of the Bible, it is important to think a little bit about the original audience. God didn't just drop these books out of the sky in a vacuum. No, he gave them to certain writers who were speaking to a particular audience, an original audience. And Luke had an original audience to whom he was writing. That's the second thing here this morning. First, the author. Second, the audience. The original recipients of the book of, of Acts. Luke says there, if you just glance back at verse 1, he says there that he was writing to a man named Theophilus. Uh, Now, many of you know, if you've been around this church long, this is actually the second book in the Bible 
that Luke wrote to this man, Theophilus. Uh, I just finished last year preaching through the book of Luke, and Luke also addressed that book to Theophilus. Uh, Those two books, Luke and Acts, they were originally connected. One big work in two volumes. Part one, the book of Luke. Part two, the book of Acts, both written by Luke to this man, Theophilus. It's unfortunate in our English Bibles, once all the original books had been written, well, people much later came through and, and, and put all the books under one cover in the Bible that you have. And it's very unfortunate that in the Bible you have, um, the, the books of, of Luke and Acts have been separated. Uh, and, and they put John between Luke and Acts, which makes it feel like Luke and Acts are entirely independent books. Now, praise God for the people who put these books together under, under one cover, but the order of the books in your English Bible is not necessarily inspired of God. That, was, that happened much, much later. And there's this book of John between Luke and Acts, and we think, well, they're independent books, but that is not the case. They were originally written by Luke to go together. And here's how Luke and Acts fit together. The book of Luke, part one, covers, part one in this two-part volume, it it covers the events in the life of Christ. It it covers the, the historical facts concerning the birth of Christ and the things that he taught and did, his, his death and, and his erection. Not that. And his resurrection. <laughs> My family was just saying this past week, wow, thank God I haven't made any of those slips in church. Well, I guess that was a prophecy of what I would do this Sunday. So um, delete that from the video. Okay. Part one is about uh, Jesus' life on this earth. Oh man, I hope I can compose myself after that. (laughs) And you all woke up right there, didn't you? Yes, uh, just a little slip of the tongue will do that. Okay, so book one, Luke, was about the life of Christ, his birth, his life, death, and resurrection. And the book of Luke ended with the ascension. And and the book of Acts then, part two in this two-part volume, it starts with the ascension again, as we'll see next week, and it then covers the next 35 years of of history after Christ ascended. And this big two-volume work was written by Luke to Theophilus. It's another Greek name, so it's very likely that Theophilus, like Luke, was also a a Gentile, a non-Jew. And Luke refers to Theophilus in the book of Luke as most excellent Theophilus, which may indicate that Theophilus had some sort of high social status. And Luke probably intended that Theophilus, after receiving these two books, well, he would then circulate them among the people he knew, probably also Gentiles. That's the way people did it back in these days. They would write big volumes addressing them to one person, but it was intended they would go to that person and through that person then to all the people they knew. And why did Luke write this two-volume work to Theophilus and through Theophilus to these other people? Why did Luke write these two huge books? Well, Luke's, Luke's purpose statement can be found at the start of the book of Luke. 
He tells us there at the start of the book of Luke why he really wrote both of these books. If you hold your finger in Acts and turn over to Luke chapter 1, just a couple books before Acts. We'll see here the purpose statement that that Luke gives to the book of Luke, but it, it also applies to the book of Acts. If you look at Luke 1 verse 1, here, here's why Luke wrote. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitness and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. And all he's saying there is, since Christ has been on the earth, many people have undertaken to write a narrative about the life of Christ. And he goes on here and he says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time concerning Christ for some time past, it seemed good to me also to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And Luke then, there in the book of Luke, he goes on to give Theophilus the facts concerning the life of Christ. An orderly narrative, he says, of the birth, death, resurrection, and and so on. And why did Luke give Theophilus this orderly narrative of the life of Christ? Well, he said there in Luke 1 verse 4, he said, that you may have certainty, Theophilus, concerning the things that you have been taught. So, so it's very likely that this man, Theophilus, he was either a new Christian or he was just now considering following Christ. He had learned some things about Jesus and Luke wanted Theophilus to know all things about Jesus. So Luke wrote to Theophilus this book of Luke, this, this book of facts about the life of, of Christ. And that purpose statement, it also stands for the book of Acts. Luke didn't just want Theophilus to have certainty about the life of Christ. No, he also wanted Theophilus to have certainty concerning those events that took place immediately after Christ had ascended back to heaven. And again, that's the way writers did it in the first century. They would, they would write these big volumes and put a little purpose statement at the start, but that purpose statement was like an umbrella over everything. So the book of Acts was written to give Theophilus and these people around Theophilus a certainty concerning the facts of what happened after Christ ascended back to heaven. If you turn back to Acts 1 now, look at verse 1. You can see how these two, the start of these two books kind of connect. Verse 1, Luke says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, the book of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And Luke then gives Theophilus part two here. He starts with the ascension of Jesus again, and then he moves forward in time after the ascension, covering the initial spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. And here's the great thing. God in his grace and his compassion 
has now put the book of Luke into your hands so that you might have certainty. We went through the book of Luke. God had given us that book so that we might have certainty concerning the life of Christ. And now God has given us this book so that we might have certainty concerning that which happened after Christ ascended back to heaven. So that's the author, that's the audience, those two things. The third and final thing uh, we see here in these first few verses, we see some stuff about the main characters in the book of Acts, or, or some of the main characters anyway, who would initially work to spread the gospel after Jesus ascended. Uh, you know how uh, when you walk into a play, uh, you walk into the theater to watch a play. Some of you are like, what's a play? <laughs> what's a play? I mean, they're, they're playing football later. Is that, that what you're talking about? No, it's like where you have a stage and actors and stuff, you know. When you walk into the theater to, to see a play and they hand you um, this, this program booklet at the door. It's oftentimes called the, the playbill. It, it gives you the cast of characters. So before all the action starts on the stage, you can, can learn some things about the cast of characters. Well, that's essentially what Luke does here. Before the action really starts here in this book, he he names here some of the main characters. And the main characters in Acts, whom Luke mentions right here, are the apostles, the original disciples. Uh, There were 12 apostles originally, uh, but Judas Iscariot, at this point in time, he has recently committed suicide after betraying Christ. So for a time here, there are only 11 original apostles, but before the end of chapter 1, they will appoint a 12th apostle. Again, a man named Mattathias. And these 12 apostles will be some of the main players in the book of Acts. That, that word apostles, just a great word. My, my wife and I, for comic relief, will sometimes watch Jim Gaffigan uh, at night. And, and he talked about the uh, disciples coming up to Jesus one day and said, Hey, Jesus, this, this, uh, this name of disciples has gotten a little bit old. We're, we're thinking of coming up with something new. How about... The apostles, <laughs> because all of the original apostles were from Brooklyn, uh, right? Uh, so, but the word apostles really, um, um, it, it comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means sent one or, or messenger. Uh, in, in the Latin translations of the Bible, the word for apostle is missio. Uh, these original apostles will be missionaries. They will be personal representatives of Christ after his ascension. Now, there will be other disciples in the book of Acts, men, women, and children, uh, who, who will work with these apostles. But these, these guys will be the main players in the book of Acts. And Luke tells us here several very important things about the apostles. Luke actually gives us four things here about the apostles. Luke says here that Jesus chose them, that Jesus appeared to them, that Jesus commissioned them, And Jesus promised them. We'll just look at that quickly. One, Luke says that Jesus chose these apostles. If you look at verse 1 again in your Bible. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given 
commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. These men, these apostles, had been hand-picked by by Jesus Christ. Not because they were great guys. I mean, they, they, they were, these guys were falling all over themselves in, in the book of Luke. But Jesus chose them for his purposes. Uh, we can see it back in the book of Luke. Luke 6, 12 says this. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, his group of disciples, and he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. And you are familiar with many of them, guys like Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and Matthew and so on. Twelve men who were chosen by Christ himself after an entire night of prayer. And now, by this time in history, at the start of Acts, these men have now lived with Jesus, drank with Jesus, ate with Jesus, they have traveled with Jesus, they have learned from Jesus. They have failed around Jesus and been restored by Jesus for some two to three years. Chosen by Christ, they had been with Christ now for two to three years, and Christ is now ascending. That's one thing. These men had been chosen by Christ. A second thing Luke says about these apostles here, Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection. If you look at verse 3 in your Bible, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And and when, when Luke talks there about these 40 days, Luke is talking there about the time between Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his ascension back to heaven. During that 40-day period, Jesus appeared to these men repeatedly, presenting himself alive to them, Luke says there, by many proofs. And, And the Greek there could be translated as by many convincing and decisive proofs. After his death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to these apostles repeatedly. And he proved to them, without a doubt, that he was truly alive again. He ate with them. He drank with them. Uh, he walked and talked with them. They, they, they touched his hands and his feet. They, they embraced him. At first, not even able to believe he was, he was back from the dead. But he continually showed himself to them. They touched him. They were with him. They knew this man has risen from the dead, a real flesh and blood body. These, these men here, they, they were the God-ordained eyewitnesses. They, they were chosen by God to see and to feel and to hear and embrace the risen Christ. And these men here will now go out and tell other people about it in the book of Acts. You know, in the book of Acts, about 30% of the book of Acts 
it's, it's these apostles here making speeches. 30% of the book of Acts, these men are making speeches. And what is the central point in almost every last one of their speeches? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We have seen him, we have heard him, we have touched him, we have embraced him. A real, live, flesh and blood resurrection from the dead. Proving that Jesus Christ is the true Son of God. The one and only Messiah who came to live and die in order that sinners like you and me might be saved. These men knew Jesus had been raised from the dead. You know, a lot of people today say, well, the disciples just lied. They made up a story that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Listen to me. Almost all of these apostles here will be martyred for saying that Jesus rose from the dead. And you do not die for a lie. These men were absolutely convinced. They knew they had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus had chosen these men. He'd appeared to these men. That's the first two things. And the third thing Luke says about these apostles is that Jesus had also commissioned them. He'd given them some explicit commands right before he ascended back to heaven. If you look at verse 1 again, here it is. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. These apostles here who had been chosen by Christ and to whom Christ had appeared many, many times during that 40-day period, well, right before Jesus ascended back to heaven, he gave these men some very specific commands. He commissioned them. Here it is, Matthew 28, 18. Just before he ascended, Jesus came and said to them, his apostles, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He was commissioning his apostles. Or here's another version, John 20, 21. Also, right before he ascended, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, apostles. As the Father has sent me, even so I am now sending you. You think about that. As God the Father had sent Jesus to this world as a missionary, To seek and save the lost. To to bring sinners like you and me into God's eternal kingdom as or in the same manner Jesus was now sending his apostles to do the same. Missionaries. To go into the world to seek and save the lost making new disciples. Jesus was handing the ball to his apostles. Now it's your turn. Run. (laughs) Apostles. Jesus had chosen these men, appeared to them, commissioned them. And a fourth and final thing Luke says about these apostles here, Jesus also promised them. You look at verse 4. And Jesus, while staying with the apostles after his resurrection and before his ascension, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you kind of step back and and just think about what's going on here in human history. Jesus just commissioned these men to go and make disciples of all nations. Twelve men. (laughs) It wasn't like this was a rock star team of men. I mean, again, falling all over themselves in in the book of Luke. This was a bunch of yahoos. (laughs) They were were common men. A ragtag band of disciples. Go make disciples of, of all nations. That was a virtually impossible task for these men. Like handing the ball off and they're like, what are we going to do with this thing? We can't go do anything with, with this thing. But Jesus had promised them multiple times that he would not leave them to do it all alone. No, he, he said, he, he promised that he would empower them. He, he said multiple times that he would give them what the Old Testament books called the promise of the Father. And, and what was this promise of the Father that Jesus was going to give to these apostles? Well, it was the Holy Spirit. Jesus says there in verse 5 that, that these men, not many days from this point right here, they would be baptized with or baptized in. They would be immersed in the, the Holy Spirit. And we'll see it in Acts chapter 2, the, the day of Pentecost. The, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit now filling these men and, and resting on these men like the Holy Spirit had rested on no other believer before them. In an enduring type of fashion, empowering them for mission. Ken Hughes says this. He says, in the Gospel of Luke, the Son of Man offered His life. In Acts, the Son of God offered His power. And and there it is, the, the... the original apostles and, and what John Stott calls their, their fourfold equipment or their fourfold qualifications. Jesus chose them, commissioned them, appeared to them, and promised them. And, and these apostles now, these apostles will be the official representatives of Christ Himself. They will be some of the main characters in the book of Acts, along with many other disciples who will all now begin to go out and spread the, the gospel of Christ. But you know what? As we now head out together on this, this journey through Acts, and, and we, we see these apostles in action, all the things that they do and, and all the things that they say, there's something that we need to know right up front here. And here it is. These apostles here, well, these guys are not really the main characters in the book of Acts. Now, they definitely play a central role in Acts. They're on center stage a lot, but but they're really just supporting 
actors in, in this drama called Acts. You know who has the leading role in the book of Acts? The main character in the book of Acts? Well, that's Christ. And please hear me on this. Luke wants you to know it. I don't know if you saw it or not, but did you catch what Luke said in the very first verse of Acts? Here it is. In the first book, O Theophilus, in the book of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven. That first book, the book of Luke, it was about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And do you see what Luke's implying there? He's saying there that the second book, the book of Acts, well, this book is now all that Jesus continued to do and teach. In, in, in the book of Luke, Jesus worked from his position here on earth, teaching and doing things himself. But now in the book of Acts, Jesus will now continue to work, only now working from his position back in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, now working through the Holy Spirit, working through these apostles and others' disciples, Jesus still teaching and, and, and doing um, amazing things, only now teaching and doing them through his representatives on this earth, the apostles and other disciples, doing these things now through the body of Christ. The church, and the main character in Acts, it's not really the apostles, but Christ working through the Holy Spirit, working through these apostles. He's the central character. Really, Christ is the central character in every book of the Bible. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, the starting point, the fundamental thing, is that Christianity is about Jesus. I've written to you already about him, said Luke, in effect. And I'm now going to tell you more about him in the book of Acts. Christianity is not just a teaching. It is a person. You start with a historical person. Luke was a pure historian. He was a giving an account of events and of facts. The Lord Jesus Christ was the theme of the preaching of the early church. He is the theme of the Gospel of Luke. He is the theme of the Acts of the Apostles. All of Christianity, every book in the Bible, is ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ, including the book of Acts. And, you know, if that's the case, if Christ is the theme of the book of Acts, if Christ is really the main character in the book of Acts, then what should we call this book? You know, the popular name for this book in the United States is simply the book of Acts. Simply the book of, of actions. And that's fine. I typically just call it the, the book of Acts or just call it Acts. But that does then beg the question, whose acts are recorded in this book? You know, the traditional title for this book, ever since the 2nd century AD, the traditional title has been the Acts of the Apostles. 
And you might have that in your Bible on the cover page for this book, the Acts of the Apostles, and, and that's, that's fine. The, the, the Apostles definitely do uh, a lot of Acts in this book, but when you stop and think about it, that title is really pretty man-centered, and it overlooks entirely the main character in the book of Acts. So what might a better title for this book be? Well, John Stott suggests this. He says, The most accurate, though cumbersome, title then, which does justice to Luke's own statement there in verses 1 and 2, would be something like this. The continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his Spirit through his apostles. And that truly is a cumbersome (laughs) title. So I might suggest a title like this. What is this book about? What would be a good title for this book? It is the continued acts of the risen and ascended Christ. So there it is. Little intro to the book of Acts. The first part of the prologue here for the next However many months we will be living together in this amazing story here, this true story, this adventure story. And there's one thing I do want you to remember as we walk through this book here. I want you to remember this. If you now trust in Christ... You believe he came and he lived and he died for sinners and you have put your faith in Christ as your Savior and and you are now seeking to follow Christ as as your master. If, If that's you, well, here's the thing. This story here, this is your story. The book of Acts is your story. You as a disciple of Christ, you, you are forever connected to this book of Acts. These are your roots. These are your ancestors, so to speak. This right here is your foundation. You know, a lot of Christians today, they want, they want, to, they want to read the book of Acts like, like, um, like, like it was way back there and has nothing to do with us today. But that's not the case. That's your history, Christian. Those are your ancestors. Those, those are your, your roots. That, that's your foundation there in, in the book of, of Acts. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens once you come to Christ, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. If you are now part of the church of Jesus Christ through faith in Christ, then you, then, then you, like all the rest of the household of God, you are built on this foundation of the, the apostles. Built on the foundation of the prophets in the word of God. Christ Jesus, your cornerstone. These are your roots here in the book of Acts, your ancestors, your foundation. Listen, this mission that these original apostles had here to make disciples of all nations, well, that mission has been handed down to you and to me. There's a church planting organization uh, today. Some of you may have heard of it. I, I, ju- I think it's just one of the best names anybody ever chose for a church planting organization. It is called Acts 29. 
And, and if you look carefully in your Bible, you will see that there are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So why would they name their church planning organization Acts 29? They are simply saying that you and I, by virtue of our connection to Christ, we are living in Acts 29. The continuation of the book of Acts. We are continuing on what was started here in the book of Acts. So as we go through this book, this is our foundation. This is our springboard off of which we now dive to go and make disciples of all nations. The same Holy Spirit who worked through these original apostles, who worked through these original disciples, that same Holy Spirit is now working through His church today to extend the kingdom of God on this planet. Man, praise God for that. And my simple prayer as we go through this is that we would be changed. Experience the life-shaping power of this true story, the continued acts of the risen and ascended Christ. Well, Father, we thank you. Thank you for a new journey through a new book. We believe that all of your word has been breathed out for our eternal good. We trust, Lord, that by your sovereign leading, we have been directed to the book of Acts. We trust, Lord, that you have plans to work through this book um, for our eternal good. I do pray, Father, as we go through this book, just as we go through any other book, I pray, Father, that we would not just learn the written word here in our minds. We know you have given us the written word in order that we might know and commune with, experience the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask, Father, that as we go through this book, by your Spirit, you would help us to know the written word in our minds. But, Father, you would also lead us to know much better the living word, that we would commune with the Lord Jesus Christ in and through the book of Acts. We thank you for it now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.